0: Good morning everybody um, uh, welcome and uh, today we are going to what uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper and together which is a um, obviously a, a wonderful gift that God has given us for so that we can remember the whole reason of why we have what we have which is the crucifixion of our Lord his death burial and resurrection uh, also, uh, we're going to look at God's Word, and we're going to start something new uh, this morning. And it's kind of a segue into something else that's new. And uh, the first thing we're going to look at before we get into uh, the books of the New Testament is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Uh, before <clears throat> we look at what we're going to see as what is going to be the reason why all the letters in the New Testament were actually written, is to make sure that we understand that we do not do what we do, uh, what we try to do as believers uh, on our own. That we do what we do by the work of God the Holy Spirit. And we have to be sure that we know how that works. Uh, So how are you filled with the Spirit? How are you led by the Spirit? And these things uh, we need to have settled in our souls... Uh, Before we're challenged with the way of living, which are, (coughs) excuse me, generally what the epistles are for. Uh, There's a reason for every epistle that's written. And uh, usually that reason is an issue that's going on in the church that it's addressed to. So in Galatians, there's an issue. In Colossae, there's an issue. In Ephesians or Ephesus, there's an issue. And <clears throat> excuse me, for uh, each of those issues, something is addressed. Uh, but before we look at what's addressed, we want to make sure that we know that we are really blessed in this age with what we have. and to when we're challenged, when we're encouraged by God's word, when we're um, exhorted, uh, commanded, and even when we're rebuked, which often happens, that we know what we are, who we are, and what God is doing, and a lot of that has to do with the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, to us in this age. Uh, the Holy Spirit's kind of like the silent partner in of the Trinity, uh, just co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Son, but has a ministry to us that is uh, behind the scenes of a um, a nature that we can't really feel or see. And uh, it's important for us to know that. So we're going to do that here coming up this week probably. And then from there, we're going to launch into the book of James, which is probably the earliest book written or the first book written in uh, in the New Testament. And we're going to iron out all of what's in there to make sure that we know you know, faith and works and all of that—that uh, that we get all of that ironed out, which is is going to be quite great. And and then we're going to do every book in the New Testament from there on out, uh, not uh, in detail because I'd be dead before we finished, but <clears throat> and all of us would, because you're all of you are a lot older than I am. Uh, but uh, <laughs> the uh, we're going to look at big themes. You know, why was this letter written? To whom? for what reason, and just see the big picture. And so when someone asks you, hey, what do you think of the book? You get this all the time, right? What do you think of the book of James, right? The people ask you all the time. No, of course they don't. But if um, if you were to thinking, you know, what what is the thing of James? Then you would know. What is Romans? You know, what is it written for? And you would know. Or at least you could go back and check uh, in, a, in a quick fashion. So that's where we're going to go. All right, so uh, let's open up in prayer and get ready. We'll sing as we do, and, uh, and then we'll get into God's Word. So uh, with humility, reverence, just as a reminder, great thankfulness for God's Word. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for who you are and all that you are. Thank you for giving us your Son, Jesus Christ, as our Lord and Savior, who was crucified outside the walls of Jerusalem for our sins. It is because of him that we have our sins forgiven. It is because of him that we can confess our sins to you without condemnation. It is because of what he's done that we can count ourselves your children and know that we are set free and that we have eternal life and that we have a future that is glorious. All because of what you have done, Father. You have done it for your sake, not for ours. And in this age, we're not just sitting on our hands doing nothing. In this age, you have blessed us with incredible gifts. And uh, we look at one of those gifts, your spirit, today. And as we continue to work on that, Father, we ask that through your spirit, each of us would come to understand why it is that you have given us the spirit and for what reason. How do we gain his function? How do we gain his power and to do so in a way that glorifies you and pleases you? And so, Father, we've got a big task in front of us, and we ask that through your omnipotence and omniscience that you help us, each of us, to understand. And We ask this in Christ's name, amen. All rise, please.
1: And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of lost sinners was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down, I will take to the old rugged cross, and exchange it someday for a crown. To the old rugged cross. I will ever be true, its shame, its reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. we Jerry.
0: We're going to start in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 36. Uh, I came to know a young man in uh, Great Britain uh, years ago, and I've never met him, uh, but uh, when I was first introduced to him, he was, oh, I don't know. Probably 10 years old or so, and his name's Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel was a swimmer, and actually had won a race. And I looked for that. I have a picture with him, proudly wearing his gold medal, and I couldn't find it. If I, and I'm, 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 that's unfortunate. But anyway, uh, Nathaniel is now uh, just turned 18 years old, and his last name is Shinubi. What an awesome name. Yeah, I wish I was named Shanubi. Well, like in a doo band, Shanubi, Shanubi. Yeah, anyway, so I wanted to say happy birthday to Nathaniel. He's turned 18. He listens to us in Great Britain, and uh, I just wanted to say we love you, and happy birthday. He's a fine young man. I also want to remind us all to pray for Kelly, our dear a uh, congregation member, Kelly Ginther, he's got a, a, a major surgery coming up to hopefully fix the things that are wrong. Well, not everything that's wrong with him, because that would be impossible, but uh, to some physical things. And uh, please keep Kelly in prayer. I ask all of you, all, all of you out there on the Internet, to. Um, what made me specifically think of him this morning, uh, he graciously let me borrow his car. while his He's got a little mini, um, if you've seen it. Um, and uh, it's been fun to drive, makes you feel like a big man in a little mini, <laughs> it's like a little go-kart, and uh, he, uh, when we were looking for a car, because our truck died, he, he graciously let me use it, uh, which was very helpful, and um, this morning, I turned it on to, you know, we we brought it back to him today, and as soon as I turned it on, I heard, well, hello, friends, and I was like, I know that voice, and it was Jay Vernon McGee on the radio yeah it was it was it was him he said, and he said, Hello, friends. I was like, What, <laughs> hello, and Jay Vernon McGee was on there, and then when i that was to warm it up when I got back in the car, Chuck Swindoll was on, and I got to listen to some awesome preachers this morning in the mini, so thank you, Kelly, and please remember to pray for him um, all right, so today. And this week, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. Um, again, this silent partner in, of the Trinity uh, who has been given to us, as the Lord says, and we'll read some of those passages this morning, to, uh, to sum it up, guide us, uh, give us power, teach us truth, and to enable us to understand what the truth means. Like in Romans 8, it says He bears witness. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit, wherever that is, in our mind somewhere, that we are the children of God, and if we're children, that we're heirs. And so the Holy Spirit is in us to show us what we are, and also, as Jesus said, to give us the power to go, to do. Um, and so... Uh, What's interesting about all of this in the Scripture is that it's stated as a fact. The Holy Spirit will do this. The Holy Spirit will do that. And then we, because we're, you know, we don't see evidence of our strength, wisdom, every day, or all the time, we wonder how. Uh, You know, how is the Holy Spirit going to do that? How is the Holy Spirit going to give me power because I've been weak? How is the Holy Spirit going to make me wise because I've been dumb? I've made some bad decisions. And for a lot of uh, denominations, the Holy Spirit becomes this. So if you're listening, I'm holding a video controller. And this is to my Xbox, which I tried to hook up to the TV this morning so I could actually play a video game for you, which I was more excited for that. Uh, but it wouldn't work. But what does the Xbox do, or what does the video game controller do? You know, I press one of these buttons, and the character on the screen does what I tell it to. If he wants to run, oh, I want him to run, sorry, I press this forward. If I want him to kill somebody, well, generally when I play, I just do all these really fast, and somehow the guy dies. But for the younger, if there were younger folks and. There aren't any of those here today. Uh, (coughs) You're probably like, what is
1: that again?
0: Uh, No, I'm kidding. That, you know, you learn how to press certain buttons to make the character do what you want it to do. So, is the Holy Spirit inside of us with one of these? Joe, do something good. X. And then I do it. Joe, go over there. And he presses that forward. And I go. Joe, think of this. And then he presses one of the, I don't even know what these do, but, you know, he presses one of those. And boom, I'm like, hey, I'm really smart. Is that how he works? Uh, And the answer is no. Because if that were true, every one of us would be spiritual all the time. You'd say the right thing at the right time all the time. You'd go and do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, all the time. He's never going to put this down. He's God, is he not? He's not like a phantom, like Jehovah's witness say, or a, a, uh, you know, a, a force. He's a person. He's a member of the Trinity. It is God's will that we do well. And he would never put this down. But that's not the case. We would, if that were true, be living our lives in a video game and we'd be controlled. Now, here's a great question. Would you prefer this? Let's say that God, the Holy Spirit, came to you and said, you know what? I could pick one of these up and control you all the time. And you'd do everything right. Or... I'll let you have that. You press the buttons, and if you press the right ones, I'll get you there. Which one would you like? Now, if I give him the controller, well, I do everything right. Everybody's going to, well, not everybody's going to love me, but a lot of people are. I'm always going to be right. Think of it. When the husband or the missus says, you were wrong there, i like, no, I was right. I'm always right. Wouldn't that be great? You did that wrong. Uh-uh. You think I did, but I know I did it right. I do everything right. Holy Spirit does it. And, you know, would we want that? It's a good question. There are several movies and science fiction books where perfect androids here they are. I thought of these guys. I am a huge fan of Star Trek. And the original one, look at Jim Car- look at uh, William Shatner there. Like he's the most handsome man. Apparently everybody couldn't stand him because he was just so full of himself. But anyway, the one I'm concerned about is Watch my new technique now. Spock. Spock always did everything right. Why? Completely controlled by logic. He's half Vulcan, half human in the story, and he hates his human side. He pushes it down. Why? Well, the human side is emotional. It's imperfect, and he doesn't want it. But in the show... Every once in a while, the human side would come out, and that's when we love Spock the most, right? There's, a, when, there's, a, there's a, uh, one of the episodes where he thinks Jim Kirk died, and they did it. Uh, they faked Kirk's death to save Spock, and at the end of the episode, he sees Kirk alive, and he outburst with love. And, of course, the other guy, Bones, who's superhuman, almost too human, always points to Spock. You know, he's always angry at Spock because McCoy's, like, too human. And then in uh, Next Generation, there's this guy, which is uh, another awesome show. And Data is an android. And Data... You know he does everything right. He's a computer. He knows every answer. He's got superhuman strength, and he does everything right. So if God said to you, you know what? I could give you an upgrade, make you one of those guys, and you'll do everything right. (coughs) Data never gains weight. He never gets sick. Right? He's he's just always data. He doesn't even have to sleep. He's an android. In our world, this has become something of a desire, right? Uh, We even have in our world right now artificial intelligence doing things and running things. And the promise is that, you know, if we can get enough AI to do stuff, then we won't have to do stuff. There's another idea that comes from this as well, which is kind of a sub-point to our topic which is the creation of a utopia. In Star Trek, which is in the future, actually, we're catching up to that future. (laughs) Like, uh, it makes me think of, uh, uh, what's his name who wrote um, 1984? I read 1984 in high school in 1984. Uh, Yeah, he thought, not Huxley, but um, Orwell. Yeah, he thought that was the future, 1984. Uh, Anyway... You know, it's not what they expected it to be. But there's always been the idea of utopia. And in these shows, you know, it's future enough that there's a lot of the human problems have already been resolved. There's a lot of peace. There's because of what? Technology and people have gotten smarter. Is that gonna happen? Yeah. Space travel and all of that could happen, but are mankind gonna change? No. We're all gonna be at each other's throats. We're all going to be jealous and lustful and vindictive and prideful and a pain in the butt all the time. So, utopia is out. And, unfortunately, the idea of utopia has actually invaded the church. Uh, One of the things that was very popular before the World Wars was post-millennialism. Now, if you know anything about this, this is the fact that the church, through the gospel and through the truth, is going to actually make the world peaceable. We're going to create a perfect world uh, through the gospel, through the word of God, and everybody's going to get on board eventually. Everybody's going to be a believer, and that we're going to make the place good enough for Jesus' return. He's not going to return until we fix this place, earth. What's, um, what is actually it's somewhat funny is that World War I happened. And all the post-millennialists were like, um, maybe not. And then World War II happened, which really an extension of World War I. And yeah, post-millennialism kind of went out. But it never went away. It was just changed. And Satan's behind all of this. Because now what's taught in many places is that your life can be a utopia. Now think about it. You're controlled by God the Holy Spirit. You have the word of God, you're a new creature in Christ, you're, indwelt, you're the temple of God, and dwelt by God, your whole life, if you have faith enough, is going to be problem-free. In other words, because of the blessings of God, there's going to be no suffering, and you're going to be all right. I mean, grace, in fact. And that's not true either. Uh, the people who teach that skip over a lot of truth in the Scripture about our suffering. We're all going to suffer. We're all going to be um, perplexed at times. What do I do in this situation? God, (laughs) you're on your own. Technically, no, you're not on your own, but he's not going to send you something in the mail or the Holy Spirit isn't going to press X and say, do this. You've got to figure it out. But you have a lot of help. And that's what we're after here. What is the Holy Spirit really doing? Helping us. And making this come alive. Not just words. I turned this morning. This is for the Lord's Supper this morning. John 13. What's John 13? I love John 13. It's alive to me. Why is it alive to me? Because I'm smart. You know me better than that. Because the Holy Spirit has shown this to me. All of us have been pretty much at the Last Supper, haven't we? We've seen the Lord get up, wrap himself with a servant's apron, take a bowl of water, and wash those knucklehead's feet. We've seen it. Like we were there. And it speaks to us. And this is what the Holy Spirit is really doing. Is it a feeling? No. So, I mean sometimes it is, sure. But if you rely on emotion all the time, and you're a, you're a slave to you know things that are are out of your control. Uh no, it's not emotion, it's a fruit. Yeah, didn't Jesus said to us concerning false teachers, you'll know them by their fruit? And you will also know Him by His fruit produced in you. So, the Holy Spirit doesn't press X. He lets you press the buttons. And if you press the ones that are of His will, with trust and obedience, then He's going to bring the truth that you've learned alive so that you can live it. And He's going to give you the power to accomplish the task. We're giving a little insight to this in the very rare occasions in the Old Testament where people were empowered by the Spirit to do things. I think of it, I can uh, almost remember his name. It's got a Z in it. <laughs> uh, the guy who was the artisan who uh, built the tabernacle. There's a guy in <clears throat> Exodus. Um, I almost can remember what tribe he's from, but whatever, it doesn't matter. He's... Uh, given the power by the Spirit to actually create the beautiful things that are going to make the tabernacle. It says that he's filled with the Spirit. And there's a couple of instances of this where people prophesy. Saul, King Saul, was Spirit came upon him and he prophesied. Uh, and so we see in the Old Testament on rare occasions where the Spirit actually empowers somebody to do something. And it's quite outside of their wheelhouse, so to speak. And in this age, the Spirit is given to you and to me, indwelling us so that we can do everything when we choose His will, by that power. The choice is yours and mine. Are you going to do God's will in this situation? And if you do, the Spirit's going to make it work. Are you going to live the way that God has called you to? Father, give us this day our daily bread. I'm going to be content. Who's going to help you be content? It's supernatural. Forgive us our sins. You know, who's going to give you the ability to have a sound mental attitude even though you're a failure? The Holy Spirit. Deliver us from temptation. Who's going to give you the power to walk that narrow path? The Holy Spirit. But he's not going to force you to do it. That would be the video game controller. So in this age, which is the age of the church, believers are blessed with some of the promises that were given to Israel. And that's where we start. Look at Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel... Now, Ezekiel, just to set this up, is um, in Babylon. And the children of Israel are in captivity in Babylon. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Now, I almost left this part out and ran to, my main verse here is if you skip down to verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. See that? Wait a minute. He's going to cause us to walk in those statutes? Doesn't that sound like the video game controller? So we'll get to that. <clears throat> but notice, the promise is, I'm going to put my spirit in you. And... But in context, why is God doing this? And We have to remember this. Verse 22 again. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name. Why is God given us these blessings? He feels bad for us? He's finally at the point where he says, wow, the human race just... Whew, I can't believe I made such buffoons. I should give them something. Is it out of pity? No. It's for his glory. Right? Why do we have what we have? Why are we blessed with what we are blessed with? It is not because of us. It is all because of him. Why is Jesus returning to win this conflict? Is it because of us? No. It's him. He's not returning for you. He's returning for him. But in the process, it is for you. Because to his glory is to give. And you and I have the Holy Spirit within us in this age. Every believer, every believer, we so, it's so easy to forget to just look at you as you. Well, you are just you. <laughs> but what also are you? You're the temple of God and dwelt by God. Every believer. Doesn't that make us special? Most certainly. It's special for what? To do things to His glory. Which is wonderful to do. Verse 23, I will vindicate the holiness of my name, my great name, sorry. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. You haven't represented me real well. Actually, you've done a terrible job at it. But I'm going to act anyway. When I prove myself holy among you and their sight. The first line of our Lord's Prayer. What is it? Holy be your name. I am going to proclaim myself or prove myself holy in your sight and in the world if You represent me, and in this age, because this is true of us. For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all lands, and bring you into your own land. That's specific to Israel. That's coming in the future. When I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. And to me, the fulfillment of that passage is in John 3, where Jesus talks to Nicodemus and says, You must be born again as he says to him you will be born of the spirit and of water and water what is the water that he means and a lot of people think it's baptism i don't think so i think it's here i think jesus is telling nicodemus the fulfillment of this promise which would come to the church i will uh, what does he say verse 30 25 when then i will sprinkle clean water on you and i will make you clean How is that going to happen? By the blood of Christ. And only by the blood of Christ. Father, forgive us our sins. We know we're forgiven. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Meaning, what is heart of flesh? Soft, malleable, humble, teachable and feeling uh, there's a passage in first timothy or paul says they have a form of godliness but have denied its power and that their conscience is hardened like stone but our conscience because we're born again because we have the holy spirit when god speaks to us even for the christians who are fighting against it and want to live carnal lives they still have this right are they pierced through At the times that I've lived very carnally, I was still so pierced by the word of God, (laughs) right? Like all of us have been. Why is that? Because you're not hard anymore. You see, this is a supernatural gift. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will observe, and sorry, you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This prophecy is fulfilled in this age. Does that at all mean that Israel is out of the picture? No. I don't know why people make that jump. Just because some parts of what is promised is given to the church doesn't mean that Israel is kaput. She is not. This will also be true in the millennial reign when all of these things are fulfilled to Israel. But for us, the spiritual aspects of this the filling of the Spirit, or sorry, I should say the indwelling of the Spirit, is fulfilled. And it still holds true, no matter what age it is, whether it's Old Testament or the church, that God has showered on mankind blessings for his sake, not for ours. And this should keep us humble. Why do I have what I have? What do I know what I know? Aren't there a lot of people in your life who don't know remotely how much you know about God? a lot they don't know remotely they don't go to a church that teaches four times a week told a professor of mine that i teach four times a week he just he found out i teach four times a week and he looked at me bizarrely and he's like what are you doing burning yourself out i'm like well kind of but i'm going to keep doing it (laughs) what you know that what am I saying? That we know things. Because if you've committed yourself to hearing the word of God day in and day out, you know things that people don't know. A lot of things. Do you look down at those who don't know? Or do you remember that this is for God's glory, not for yours? And that will keep you happy. As Humble is happy. Pride is the path of misery. Humble is happy. So this truth, something we talked about last week, will keep you weak. The weak are the ones who are strong. Why? Because we stand in the sphere of God's power. We uh, stand in God's strength. And we know that divinely good things have been given to us for God's glory, not for ours. And we long for even our enemies to have those things. Forgive us, right? as we forgive others. We long for them to have it. That's why we forgive them. I mean, it's, it's good for our mental health as well. But we also forgive others for the fact that we desire our neighbors, everybody, every person that God has created to share in the great things that we have blessed, been blessed with by God. So in Romans 7, sorry, Romans 11, 17, Paul writes, But if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became a partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. So we're, the picture is truly uh, someone grafted in a, a, a branch, a tiny branch into a tree. And for an olive tree, we've, some branches have been broken off. Uh, in Romans 11, Paul makes clear that they were broken off for their unbelief, not because they didn't live up to the law because nobody did. And that's, an, that's something we're going to look at this coming week, is now that we're under the spirit, what happens to the law? What is the purpose of the law? And you know, is it abolished uh, or or what? And we're going to look at that. But we're no longer under the authority of the law. However, We were wild olives. No, any olive grower would never do this because wild olives don't produce anything. You would never graft a wild olive branch into a healthy olive tree. It's just going to draw energy from the tree and do nothing. But God has taken us, this is a reference to Gentiles, and grafted us into the tree so that in the church age we're all one new creature. Jew and Gentile. Ephesians 2. So God has done something miraculous uh, by the the root. What is the root of the olive tree? Well, it's just what part of it is just what we read in Ezekiel 36. The Holy Spirit. This promise to Israel, now it's ours. Uh, It's going to be. For Israel, the nation, also in the future. But now in the church age, where Jew and Gentile don't matter, we're blessed with much of what was promised to the olive tree. And part of that, of course, is the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is given to indwell every believer in this age at the moment of salvation, and he will indwell each of us forever. That's the promise, forever. So right now, I have the Holy Spirit within me. I chose a picture of the temple because that's what we are. And we're the temple dwelt by the Spirit. When Solomon dedicated the temple, when he finally finished the temple, which took years, and he made an amazing prayer in front of all of Israel that God filled the temple. And it says that there was so much, even actually going back to Moses and the tabernacle, as soon as the tabernacle was finished, God filled the tabernacle. And you know what? It was so full of light and cloud and you know, smoke that Moses couldn't even go in, which is really interesting. <coughs> it, uh, Exodus ends with Moses unable to enter the tabernacle. And then Deuteronomy opens with the sacrifices that are going to enable people to come into the tabernacle. Right? It's it's God set his word up or not, right? It's set up perfectly. Uh, so, But now we're indwelt by God, and being indwelt by God, we have the power, the guidance, the wisdom available for everything. So what do you want to do today? God's will? You've got power to do it. We say to ourselves, you know, I've tried God's will yesterday. I was terrible at it. I tried God's will all my life. I was terrible at it. But does that make you not the temple of God if you're a believer? I'm not going to go into it, but I just read an article by one of my comrades from the past. who wrote that, you know, if you're not doing enough works, then you're probably not a believer. This is a very popular teaching that has been around for years. And well, it's like, alright, I stink at life. So what are their, what's their solution? Is you've got to believe harder. <laughs> okay. Yeah, if I'm desperate enough, I'm going to get on my knees and be like, God, Christ, I, you died for me. You're my Savior. You paid for my sins. I'm going to believe it even harder. And then what? All those flaws and those weaknesses, all of a sudden they disappear? The things that have dragged you into sin are gone? No. The solution isn't in believing again. The solution is in knowing. And this, this very thing is what Paul brought out to the Corinthians. And we know what the Corinthians were doing. None too good. And to the Corinthians he said, you know you're the holy temple of God, right? And they're like, yeah. So why are you doing what you're doing? That was his point. Why do you keep doing that? You're the temple of the living God. God indwells you. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 Corinthians 6. He says it in both, in both letters. You are the temple of God. You idiots. Do what the temple does. If we do what the temple does, see, this is what God says. Am I going to control you? Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. I'm going to tell you what you are, and then I'm going to hand this to you. But I'm in you. I'm going to tell you you're a brand-new creature in Christ. But I, the Holy Spirit, am in in you, that when you do the right thing, I'm going to make it happen. And isn't that kind of exciting? Say, wait a minute. If I do the right thing, you're going to make it happen yeah doesn't that make you want to do the right thing? See it work Of course it does. Go to John fourteen John fourteen Gospel of john fourteen sixteen so this is just before he dies, our Lord. Just hours before he dies. And I've always loved this. In the upper room, who's he really concerned about? Just hours before he's, die, he's going to do what has, has brought on him the greatest of pressure. He's more concerned about his guys than he is about himself. Verse 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another paraclete. Uh, In Greek, it's parakletos. He will give you another helper. Helper is a comforter, as this word means. It means to draw near to help someone. And notice he says another helper. Well, that means that they've already had a helper, and that was him. So he says, I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you i know i you can honestly imagine the whole, the disciples around this table at this supper going huh they, they don't understand this. They won't understand it until Pentecost when it happens. And it's going to happen, and then they're going to be like, oh. <laughs> I, I, aren't, aren't we all like that? Right? We hear God's word. God says he's going to do this and that. And we're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, I kind of get it. I don't know, kind of. And then I live, and it happens, and I'm like, oh, right but, right, the Holy Spirit is in us forever. Go to John sixteen thirteen. What is he going to do? But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Now, that could be the gift of prophecy, which the disciples would have. Uh, some of them would have. But, uh, you know, does that, is that for us now? You know, and that, that's, a, that's a part where that's a question. But the fact that God's going to disclose, the Holy Spirit will disclose to us, is followed up in verse 14. He will glorify me and he will take of mine and disclose it to you. So, in other words... The Holy Spirit is going to reveal to them and to us the person of Christ. He's going to take of mine whatever is of mine, and he's going to disclose it to you. So what is the Lord Christ? What does he do? What does he want? What does he love? What is his truth? What is his way? What is his life? That is going to be revealed, disclosed. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes a mine and will disclose it to you. So he gives us a further insight is that what Jesus has, the Father has, so when we discover or what is disclosed to us of the Son, we will discover the Father. And I, I hope we all see this, that there is nothing better in life than knowing the Father and the Son. Nothing. All our trinkets, our new things, our good things, our material things, even other people that are dear to us, our relationships that thank God we have them. I think of my family and I'm so grateful. But if I put my family, like my wife and Maggie, if I put them above the Lord, uh, not only am I going to ruin my relationship with them, but I'm going to ruin myself. Nobody deserves to be on that throne other than my Lord. And I need to know Him. And there's nothing better. There's nothing better than knowing Him. The Holy Spirit is going to disclose. Okay. Now, does disclose mean control? No. All right, how many times have I picked up the controller? That's what I'm supposed to do. I'm learning this in my class. I'm not supposed to tell you I'm learning it, but I, you know that's where I am. I kind of ruin it when I do that. But this <laughs> this is control is disclose mean input into my brain. You know, where Jesus told them, Look, just go into this, the, the the leaders and open your mouth and the Holy Spirit will fill it. It's in the book of Acts, right? So I don't have to know anything about the Word of God. I just walk in in front of somebody or in front of a group of people and I just open my mouth right, and nothing, just your idiocy comes out, right? It's, nothing's coming out. What does he mean by that? He means that you have actually learned and know and when you're in front of those who hate you and oppose you, the Holy Spirit, just don't be nervous. Don't be scared. Don't fear them because the Holy Spirit's going to show you what to say. He's going to take what you know and make it alive. So don't fear. Speak. Right, we talked last week about how the fact that the flesh wants to isolate. And Satan wants us to isolate and not be a light to the world. And the Holy Spirit says to us, don't fear them. Speak. I say, I don't really know anything. Oh, you know more than you think. Speak. What am I going to say? Don't worry about it. Speak. It's in there. You know it. Just speak. Be comfortable. Don't fear. See, fear shuts us up. Fear isolates us. But the Holy Spirit has been given to us, not to control us, but to give us the power to overcome the things that are holding us back. And I could say, can I do this? Holy Spirit, I'm in you. I'm God, aren't I? I've got omnipotence. I've got it all. Yes, I'm the silent partner, but I am co-equal with the other two. (laughs) The other two. Imagine he says that. He's like, yeah, the Father and the Son, those two, yeah. No, not at all. I don't know. (laughs) So, there's another thing here, and I'm I'm just about out of time, so I'm going to close it here the application is that the Holy Spirit is going to provide now this week we're going to look so what do I do is it my confessing sins is it my uh, praying do I say a certain thing in other words do I have the Holy Spirit on a switch and this right I'll go out of the frame but this is what I used to think the Holy Spirit was I sinned, I confess. Hold on, let me find the switch. Confess turns him on. And what, what does that mean? He's under my control. That can't be it. Now, does that throw confession out? Oh, heck no. No, 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 no. I confess them all. But is he under my control by the switch? No, no, no. So we're just going we're going to look at the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? And let's just absorb that. And when we absorb that, we'll see that there's no procedure or prayer or confession that's going to turn the Holy Spirit on. It's your decision to do His will, and that's going to turn him on. Eh, turn him on is the wrong phrase, probably. But if you choose to go, he's going to get you there. If you choose to do that which is right, he's going to give you the ability to do it. And so what this does for us is give us the confidence to do what's right. Instead of saying, all right, I'm going to confess my sin and now I'm going to do what's right, and as if, you know, he controls me, confess your sin and do what's right. And know this, that the Holy Spirit is going to make it great through you. In his own way. And do you ever lose his ability to do this? He's in you forever. You never lose this ability. It is always with you. So if I've done nothing right my whole life, (laughs) my whole believing life, today's the day I can change that. Can I overcome? Yeah. Yeah. Me? Me? Uh-huh. Yeah, you. So disclose doesn't mean control. A guide can be followed or not. And so Jesus said, What? Well, pick up your cross and follow me? That's our decision. We can follow him or not. It is up to us to do it. And then we say, Well, you know, I made the decision to do it. And then as I go, am I the one really doing it? And, you know, I'm choosing to, but he's the one really making it happen. And then I can, and then when the fruition, fruition, yeah, when that happens, I'm not, you know, like, oh, Joe, you're so awesome. I just talked to so and so and encouraged them, and every word was just perfect. I am so smart. You are just lost it. You just went off on your own and stood in the spotlight and said, everybody, look at me, right? It's stupid. No, you didn't. You were enabled. You were shown the truth by the Spirit, and you were empowered by Him to do it. But you chose to do it. So choose His will. Two words, trust and obedience. They really work here. And the Holy Spirit will make it happen. All right, let's celebrate our Lord's Supper. And uh, we could uh, guys come forward to pass out the elements. And we'll celebrate that together. There we go. If you're still in the Gospel of John, you can turn back with me to chapter 13. I picked this in light of our um, study today that what he's going to emphasize to his disciples is doing something. Um, So in verse 13, it's now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come. He would not depart out of this wor- that. Sorry, he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus said to him, what I do you do not realize now, but you will understand later or hereafter. Right. Peter would. And same with us. Peter said to him, never shall you wash my feet. (laughs) I love this. After Jesus said, You don't understand what I'm doing, Jesus uh, Peter turns around and gives him a command. <laughs> That's why everybody loves Peter. He is us. Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, If I do not wash your feet, you have no if I don't sorry, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Then Simon Peter, still in ignorance, said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. He said to him, he who is bathed only needs to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. In context, that would be Judas Iscariot. So, what does he say to Peter? You're clean, Peter. That I, the Lord, am doing what? Well, we've, we've linked this to confession or to rebound, right? Wash your feet. The feet get dirty in the world. All of that's true, But really, what Jesus hasn't said anything here about confession, what Jesus is really displaying is service. Now, that's fine. If you want to hang on to the confession as your interpretation as the main theme, that's up to you. I don't see confession here. What I see here is service. The Lord is serving them. For he knew the one who was going to betray him when he said, not all of you are clean, verse 12. And then he had, and when he had washed his feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? And yet the silence you just heard in this room was probably the same silence in that room. I mean, I, I know all, all of you could have answered, but do you know what I've done to you? And they're all like, uh. <laughs> probably they don't have an answer. So he's going to answer he's going to answer you call me teacher and lord in your right for so I am if I then the lord the teacher washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you serve one another Truly truly I say to you a slave is not greater than his master nor is one who sent greater than the one who sent him If you know these things you are blessed The word happy is blessed. You are blessed or happy if what? Read it. Say it out loud if you want. If you do them. You studied them. You know them. The Lord did them. Praise Him. Right. All of that, right. But I've got to do this. And I've got to serve you. Oh, wait a minute. Do we have to get the foot basin out and we're going to all wash each other's feet this morning? No. But, um, you know, if I don't put this into practice, then I'm not going to know anything about it. So how am I going to do that? How am I going to accomplish it? And Jesus in this very night would tell them the passages that we just read. The Holy Spirit is going to be given to you to reveal me. And what have I just done? washed your feet. He's going to reveal the Father who is me. I and the Father are one. He's going to say that in John 14. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Holy Spirit is going to show you and empower you to do this, what I've told you to do. And it's very true. The disciples, all of their lives would be changed. All of them. And for us as well. All of us must be changed by our Lord. So, in celebration of the Lord's Supper, Paul writes, For I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of our precious Lord. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In honor of our Lord, let's drink the cup. Mm. Mm. Together we have just remembered and commemorated the sacrifice of our Lord. The, a, a death and a pain that we none of us could imagine. And yet it was done for us so that we can confidently say that the Father is our Father and that this life that He lived is our life. And thank you for celebrating that with me and with all of you. And with that, let's pray. Father, thank you for the, this supper and thank you for the reminder that we have to never forget... That this bread represents His body that was broken for us. And this cup represents the new covenant in His blood that is given to us by His finished work. He did everything. It is by faith in Him that we are saved. And only through faith in Him that anyone is saved. If anyone is listening to my voice who has not believed in Christ as their Savior, I beg you, please, pause, think, hear my words that Christ is the Savior of the world. Hear the Gospel, which is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, took upon Himself in death on the cross the sins of the world. And that means all your sins were paid for by Him. A gift needs to be received. And if you receive that gift... The Bible says, God says, that you receive it by faith, not by works, not by doing anything, but by believing. Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of the world. Through his cross, he paid for your sins, and on the third day after his death, he was resurrected again to newness of life. That life will be yours if you believe upon him as your Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, We'll take our offering and close up. Thank you, all. Uh, I have this note, which I neglect. Larry, you can go. You, You don't have to wait for me. Now, yeah, everybody turn around and look at Larry. No, but this note is uh, announced announces Zoom meetings that I'm supposed to announce on on Thursday, and I always forget, so I just looked at it. Um, Friday's at four, and this this uh, we had Sue Halverson, Sue Wright, Susan Reich, who lives in Arizona, who's under four feet of snow right now in in northern Arizona. Um, uh, Uh, Carol Golan, who's in uh, Appling, Georgia, and uh, Terry Oakey, who's in England. Uh, And we all have this wonderful just chat. It's not, um, at first when I did it, I thought, well, you know, let's organize, Uh, that was dumb. So we just chat, and it always turns to God, and something, somebody either has a question, or, and we all talk about it, and it's wonderful. So it's just a time to fellowship with people. It's like sitting around the, ten- the dinner table talking about stuff. So if you wanted to log in, 4 o'clock on Fridays. And if I'm not there, they were like, Joe, we don't need you. We, they told me this this week. They were like, we'll run it. We all have Zoom accounts. We'll run it. You don't have to be there. And I'm like, okay, great. So, you know, don't let the door hit you in the butt on the way out, right? Is that what they're saying? Let's, let's pray for our offering. Thank you, Father, for, the, for your ability to give. We thank you for your blessings upon this ministry, which have been great. Um, and so, Father, we ask that you uh, lead us in the use of what you give us so that may, we may do your will. In Christ's name, amen. roger i'm just going to close so three two one and a half <laughs> oh i keep talking <laughs> uh, uh, uh blah, blah 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 no you uh, you're dismissed oh you're waiting for me to say you're dismissed i'm sorry you're we're dismissed you're dismissed thank you everybody